Hey, you're listening to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and so want to make Him the centre of our lives, our community and our world. We're going to learn how to do that right now as we sit down and unpack Sunday's sermon. Welcome. Welcome to another week of Banter. We're here. We're, we've been uh, just at a breakneck speed going through uh, the book of Samuel, and we are here again to unpack, uh, yeah, Mitch, your sermon for Sunday. Thanks for the message, mate. Ah, thank you. It was a challenging passage. Yeah. Would you say that this, for you, is probably the most challenging passage of all of the sort of groups that we're looking at throughout the series? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. There was a few times I'm like, why did I pick this? Yeah. <laughs> That's like my own choice. So, yeah. so it's good when it all came together. Mm. It's a lovely feeling of like when the Lord opens up and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, cool. That's a cool insight mm. that I never would have drawn out had yeah. I not studied this text more yeah. in depth. So. Yeah. No, it's always so fascinating, the sort of preconceptions that we come to with the text and the mm. questions that we sort of have and quite often... I sometimes find that the questions that I come with end up not actually being even the right questions. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's fun too just to go through scripture. Like in narrative in particular, mm. it's why has the narrator put this here? Mm. Because the Old Testament's pretty pretty brief in what it shares. And so mm. when something's in there or a character speaks, it's like, okay, this is in here for a reason. There's mm. a, so actually sometimes unpacking that reason, that's, mm. the, that's the journey. That's yeah. the fun part. So yeah, why is I it really enjoyed why that? Yeah. So good. Well, yeah, mm. you um, shared on sort of the passage around David eating the, the consecrated bread, which then, as you alluded to, has then a, um, I suppose, exegesis of it from mm. Jesus in the, in the New Testament. Um, but f- before we get there, um, as we are going through this one Samuel series, there's obviously large chunks that we're kind of skipping past. Um, as far as chronologically also, you know, we probably just placing ourselves in the story. Mm. Um, the last thing that's happened just before sort of this narrative begins is David has just defeated Goliath. Yeah. And there's suddenly this um, welcoming of David into Saul's household. Mm. So if we're kind of then jumping into chapter 18 at that point, David's just defeated this big, you know, Goliath that we all sort of uh, know. And then what happens next? I think a lot of people can view it as sort of a rom-com and, you know, David defeats Goliath, roll credits, end of the story. But what happens next? So Saul grows increasingly jealous Mm. of David. And the kind of the moment of that is when the the lady sings Saul slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Mm. Saul grows very angry about that. And then from that next day that evil spirit is upon Saul David's playing the harp as usual Saul yeah. tries to throw a spear at him and misses mm. which is quite ironic because Saul's meant to be the king that's leading him in battle mm. and can't hit a target mm. <laughs> like across the room yeah. so sort of like which, a military impotence or something yeah, yeah. and and that's um and I and it happens not once but twice and David instead of being fearful of Saul Opposite happens. Saul grows increasingly fearful of David. And so if Saul can't kill David, this is sort of the point of the whole narrative, is David, as God's anointed, he'll go through incredible hardship. Mm. Like, um, yeah, so he's exiled out of the palace, exiled out of his country, living in caves, living in foreign land, but he's never actually killed until like he's an old man. So yeah. there's this sort of protection over him, but that doesn't mean that he's not immune from life's problems. So sure. 
And so Saul recognizing that oh, I can't kill him, um, when he tries to marry him off to his older daughter called Merab. And David's like, well, who am I? This is from chapter 18, verse 18. He goes, who am I? And what is my family or clan Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? And anyway, he doesn't marry her. And then this, another daughter, Michal, she falls in love with David. And he's like, okay, I'll give it to her, you know, give it to David. And Saul said, hey, here's another opportunity to become my son-in-law. Mm. And because David's a poor shepherd, mm. you know, boy, as he's recognized, says the bride price is huge. Mm. So Saul comes up with a cunning plan. And this is, if you Google the top weirdest verses in scripture, yeah. this one comes up. And so this is um, 1824. It says, mm. when Saul's servants told him, or David said, Saul replied, say to David, the king wants no price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins mm. to take revenge on his enemies. And so, yeah, rather than being some weird, yeah. like, yeah. sexual thing yeah, yeah, Saul's yeah. logic is oh well if he goes up against a hundred Philistines there's a good chance like someone's going to kill him yeah, injure yeah. him yeah something's going to happen and yeah he's not trying to make a like cool art installation on his wall in the palace there's <laughs> a, there's a intentional thing collect yeah, these four like, skins for the symbol rather yeah, than yeah like the point is that, you know a yeah. hundred people is a lot to kill yeah and good, good luck getting foreskin any other way than yeah. killing somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and David goes out and kills 200. And yeah. like it's just reinforcing that with God's spirit upon him, like he's the blessed one. And yeah, Saul keeps becoming more and more afraid because, yeah, it doesn't mm. matter what David does, David is victorious. Yeah. And so, so, on behalf of everybody, mm. what is the Jewish obsession with foreskin? Oh, well, I guess that's part of the Abrahamic promise. Yeah. Um, Circumcision in the ancient world wasn't restricted to just Jews. No. Um, there's evidence at the time, like Abraham, that Egyptians, like priests, would undergo circumcision. Yeah, right. um, so there's a few kind of ideas floating around about why circumcision is important. But probably the one that, probably the most popular view is like circumcision represented a partial cutting off to represent being cut in to God's covenant. Sure. So like all people are sinful before God mm -hmm. and by cutting off the foreskin, which also put a great risk to the fulfilling the promise to Abraham, mm -hmm. like to have, you know, sure. lots of children. Yeah, yeah, don't slip. Um, yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know, um that yeah, there's kind of carried a risk of losing the promise, but also to a reminder that you should be cut off completely, but instead it's just a little bit of foreskin yeah. cut off. Also too there's a priestly element. Yeah. The priests were uh, yeah, circumcised to show cleanliness. So it's sort of a whole raft of different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the idea of sort of like to cut a covenant. They're yeah. like the idea of cutting and covenant mm. sort of seem very enmeshed, yeah. and the idea of blood and the idea of it needing to be yeah. costly in, in mm. some way. Yeah. So then we see obviously David. Sort of, I mean, look, he's just such an overachiever. He's yeah. he's asked to have yeah. to, to deliver a hundred foreskins yeah, instead. He doubles it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this Mikkel, she must be really beautiful. She, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so yeah, after he marries uh, Mikkel, Saul keeps trying to kill him, and it's interesting. Saul's children sort of side with David. So obviously, Mikkel, his daughter, marries him. Jonathan mm. becomes his best friend. Yeah. And, the two are very, very close. Not in a homosexual way. It, it's yeah. like some kind. Of, it's like, well, look, the narrator is pretty clear about David's faults, and if they'd mm. committed some sort of homosexual activity, the narrator probably would have mentioned that. There's mm. just this deep love they have as friends, and Jonathan mm. probably would have been a good 15, 20 years older than David. So there's sure. sort of this 
brotherly uncle relationship yeah. that they have and that Jonathan makes an oath with David and it's interesting like Jonathan recognizes that well, Jonathan should be the heir yeah and Jonathan recognizes actually David not him like there's a sort of almost John the Baptist Jesus sort of well sure. he must become greater I must decrease so yeah 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 and yeah that, that kind of continues on with um one night Saul tries to kill um, David in his McCall's bed. McCall makes like a little idol to pretend that you know, yeah. David's still asleep, and the men stab the like the the mannequin, the idol that's yeah, there yeah, in yeah. the bed, and Saul gets increasingly furious. And so this is sort of what kind of happens. So this tit for tat. Saul keeps trying to kill David within yeah. the palace, and then eventually, um, chapter twenty, David and Jonathan they meet together, and they sort of have this signal with um, the archer. I won't go into it for time, but basically. It, like Jonathan confirms that yeah Saul my father is trying to kill you you need to flee and they have a teary farewell and yeah David takes off so that's where we pick up in 21 so mm. David sort of yeah he has a rise he goes from being a shepherd boy mm. in Bethlehem to being the hero of Israel to living in the king's palace yeah so this theme of replacement son so it's like David's replacing yeah, um, Jonathan and Saul. Yeah. So living in the palace, and now he's being yeah. kicked out of the palace, and so we see him now increasingly kicked out of the land of Israel. And so his first port of call is what we read in twenty-one is Nob, yeah, where he goes to Abimelech, the priest, and yeah, it's from from a textual point of view, it's interesting when um about this sort of deception yeah. that flows through the narrative. So when Samuel goes to anoint David, um in Bethlehem the citizens of Bethlehem come out trembling before Samuel mm. going, why are you here mm. and actually the Lord tells Samuel or tell him that you're here to perform a sacrifice yeah and so there's this interesting idea in scripture of using deception or cunning cunning might be a better word and deception because sure. it has such negative connotations cunning to overcome a stronger enemy yeah and it's a thing that we see in scripture a few times. The Hebrew midwives, like, yeah. oh, you know, the wives are too strong and when we get there, they're already given birth and uh, we don't know. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just really strong. <laughs> yeah. Pop them out. <laughs> like, it, yeah, like, you know, we'd say that was alive, but, yeah, you, you know, like that's, the, yeah. but they, like, what are you going to do? Oh, okay, I'm going to take this baby boy and chuck it in the river. No, mm. like, what's the better outcome? And so yeah. Rahab's a classic one where the two yeah. spies, oh, well, they've gone. They were here, but they've gone now. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's this interesting mix in scripture where cunning, deception, wisdom, what do you want to call it, or even lying, if mm. you want to, is used for a greater purpose. Yeah. And we sort of see this here when David rocks up to, to Nob. And so some commentators think that David and Abimelech know that Daog the Edomite is there listening in. So they're sort of, oh, I know he's listening in, so let's kind of have this pretend. Just a little of, bit of improv. Yeah, theater. improv conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. or... But I think, yeah, picking up on that theme of deception that's in Samuel is that David, yeah, Abimelech probably knows something's happening. Like he comes out trembling for a reason. He's like, oh, Saul yeah. isn't too happy of him. So David's there using deception mm. to try to alleviate his fears and kind of mm. create a, well, it turns out to be pointless because Saul kills him eventually, mm. but sort of a... a um, an alibi like oh well david told me he was on mission for you and sure. yeah that's fine so 
I mentioned yesterday when David asked for food, which shows you how desperate he is. He just fled. He hasn't got a weapon. Hasn't got any food. Yeah, he. even the men, there's a little bit of debate about, well, he doesn't start gathering men till much later in the cave. So it's like, is he lying about that too? It's a little, little unclear, but the point is like you get a sense of how desperate he is. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I see this as tying in with... Um, Abelimelech like giving him this this bread, mm. it's a way of, yeah, showing again like this kind of tension mm. that we've seen so far with sort of this deception or cunning is that there's sometimes there's things that are permissible mm. for the greater good, and so is leaving David to yeah. go starving the anointed one is that a good thing? Well, no, and so taking the bread, mm. the consecrated priest shows that, yeah, there's kind of a life element that life almost overcomes sort of what's what yeah. we traditionally call right or wrong. Like yeah. obviously there's lies about yeah. the greater good that are better. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean like let's hit pause for a mm. second. Cause I think like for me, I don't know, like I know people get like hung up on the foreskins thing. I think this is a much more confusing story mm. than like, I mean, I just see like foreskins as an equivalent of like, I want the heads of or yeah, the yeah, scalps yeah. of like, that's all it really yep. is really mm. um but i mean this is like um david lying let's be mm. real uh him sort of eating like consecrated bread for mm. like you know the temple the priest like there's a lot of things here which seem morally um i don't know yeah. tricky yeah. and i suppose for us um sort of fast forward you know mm. hundreds and thousands of years later what is the sort of equivalent so in mm. our lives as people who are faithful followers of mm. christ um where does honesty yeah. uh come into it i maybe think that under new covenant maybe consecrated bread isn't really no. a thing anymore and that's not something yeah. we need to worry about so much um but definitely lying <laughs> a, a great example this kind of goes to open doors when brother andrew started smuggling in bibles he had to lie yeah but what he was doing yeah and christians in the west were like you can't do that yeah you can't do that it's lying yeah um, so Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the equivalent. There are times where, as Christians, that you need to do things mm-hmm. for God's purposes that will use yeah, yeah cunning, lying well, yeah. to overcome a greater evil. Yeah, that's what Jesus says, right? Be cunning as mm. vipers and innocent as mm. doves. And I think mm. that, you know, there is an interesting theme there where, you know, Jesus is asked, what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God mm. and love your neighbor as yourself. I think yeah. that if those two commandments are being fulfilled in that moment by being maybe slightly dishonest, mm. I think that it can still be righteous. Yeah. Now, the reality is, for starters, one, I mean, we're, we're, we're really picking up only a few outlier stories mm. in the you know sweeping yep. narrative of the Old Testament. So one thing that the Bible is saying, you know, as a unified text mm. is there are these small exceptions that yes. it's not probably something that most people are going to be justified in doing every single day lying on behalf, you know? So, and the other thing which is interesting is all of the situations that I can think of, both David here, yeah. Rahab, the Jewish mm. midwives, um, they are all seeming to be a life and death situation. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's other times um, where Old Testament characters say Abraham or Isaac, they use deception, but it's wrong. Like where Abraham yeah. pretends, oh, she's my sister. Yeah. Isaac yeah. does the same. Oh, that's my sister. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's blatantly wrong. And still yeah. God blesses them. This yeah. is the... Yeah. The 
tricky part of Abraham is that when Sarah's taken into Pharaoh's home, they start. It's almost like setting up what's going to happen in the to the Egyptians in the Exodus. Like plagues start happening. Yeah. And they go, oh my goodness! And it's like I've taken this woman. Now why didn't you tell me? Like, yeah. You caught. You brought all this ruin upon us. Yeah. And then Abraham leaves like more blessing. Like what? Like yeah. the guy. So there is. I've these yeah. things are like tricky. Like God will bless people. Yeah. Certain people. Yeah. And. They will commit acts that are wrong, but God still yeah. uses them to fulfill his purposes. Because it's interesting, with both Abraham and Isaac, I get the impression that they lie out of fear for their own yes. safety and well-being. Yeah. So there definitely still seems to be, life, you know, maybe a less a lesser, but still mm. a, a life and death situation yeah. in, in part, um, maybe not as drastically mm. as, say, a, a Rahab or a David yeah. here who's about to, you know, die of starvation, but... It is tricky. It's it very, very doesn't tricky. seem to be a definitive black and white no. answer and to this. This is why I love the Old Testament. Yeah. Because you, like, yeah, and I read a number of commentaries this week. And look, a lot of them just give the simple answer of, oh, well, you know, life supersedes Torah. But Peter Lightheart in his commentary, I really like what he says. It points that deeper level of, because uh, Blimelech asks, if they've kept their bodies pure. That was part of warfare, was yeah. women have sex with a woman. Yeah. Like, you'd be clean. And Dave was like, yeah, we are. And he says, well, that's what priests are called to do. And in a sense, it's yeah. tying in with this idea of David being king, but also being a priest. That's sort of like the role Adam had. Adam was a priest king sure. in the garden. Yeah. You know, Jesus is a priest king. Yeah. And so, yeah, when Jesus picks up on that, that, that when he refers to this narrative when mm. at that grain field about the Sabbath. He's mm. like, well, that's what David did. And it's sort of like, a, yeah, sure, there's moments where you need to like eat to survive, but at a deeper level, Jesus pointing to his role as the greater son yeah. of David. And so that's why I find just really fascinating how, mm. yeah, sometimes sometimes scripture is really black and white, other times a bit of grey. You're like, oh, this is, you know, yeah, interesting how this works. But yeah, yeah so that's sort of the consecrated bread. And then... um. We introduced you, and I just realized that yesterday I never actually mentioned it, but Daog the Edomite, mm. he's Saul's chief shepherd. Now, for any Jewish person reading Old Testament, Edomite would ring alarm bells. So Edomite's a descendant of Esau, which is the older twin brother of Jacob, yep. the father of the Israelites. And when Jacob deceives his father Isaac out of the birthright, Esau makes this declaration, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. Mm. And in the end, they're reconciled. But it's almost like that curse, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob, hangs over the Bible now. Mm. The, the Edomites are like, they're your brothers? Mm. But like most encounters are negative. Edomites sure. won't let, when they escape from Egypt, won't let them through their land. During the exile, the Edomites actually attacked the exiles. That's what the book over is all about. Yeah. It's about the Edomites attacking. Like, hey, we're meant to be brothers. And you're like... When we're getting taken out, you come up behind us and wiped us out. Like, how dare you? Mm. And so, Dale the Edomite, he is a very minor character, but it's this reminder that, for lack of a better word, the serpent, mm. the seed of the serpent from Genesis 3, is still active and present. There's mm. this conflict that's happening, and Dale the Edomite is part of that. Mm. And particularly as Saul's chief shepherd, Saul's mm. meant to be the king of Israel, yeah. overcoming Israel's enemies. Steady siding with the enemy, mm -hmm. killing fellow mm -hmm. Israelites. And so that's just a cool little, yeah, I guess, reflection of like other parts of scripture yeah. building up this narrative. So scripture does that a lot. It might just have, you know, one or two sentences, but you're meant to think back to all this history 
like going back and for us going forward like this connection yeah so, yeah so mm. then suddenly you know he's sort of in enemy territory mm. and we kind of see this um i suppose running further and further away from mm. you know not not safe in israel mm. not safe in enemy territory oh. um and and where do we sort of end up with with david yeah so well David takes, well, because he needs food and weapons, and from Abimelech he takes a sword of Goliath. Mm. That's the only sort of weapon around. We're told earlier in Samuel that the Silistines have a like a monopoly on mm. metal making and yeah. swords. So yeah, all there's one battle in 1 Samuel so, 14, yeah. only Saul and Jonathan have weapons. So, yeah. <laughs> like there's a shortage of weapons across Everyone else Israel. just has sticks that they've found. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so... which. I think just shows the desperation of David that he takes the sword of Goliath from Gath, obviously a national hero. Mm. The dude's pretty memorable. He's, mm. he's, you know, doesn't matter what size he is. You know, there's a bit of debate about if he's eleven foot, nine foot, or whatever. Yeah. Point is, this guy is a, a big dude. He's a big dude. He's known figure. His sword's probably quite memorable. And David goes to Gath, mm. where the king Akish is there, and you're yeah. like, why? So thinking, there's something which seems weird here with this, like Goliath sword. I'm almost thinking yeah. like going to like Planet Hollywood, where you've got like Rocky's boxing gloves <laughs> yeah. and a glass case or something. Like, obviously, they felt like it was an important thing to have been yeah. kept in some yeah. way, which is fascinating it's, as well. Just yeah. that I don't know. It seems to be this relic of some sort. Yeah. I mean, the guy's dead, and yet you're keeping his sword, and you've yeah. got you he guys have the monopoly on on yeah. blacksmiths, like. It seems yeah. like a weird thing to be like keeping, but maybe that they were like elevating him in some way or, or commemorating him. Yeah, in some I think it could have been just like name. a relic to remember, like like Yahweh's provision. Yeah, a bit like how they kept the manna in the jar, or yeah. like stuff like that, like Aaron's buttered stuff. Yeah, yeah. Why well, just been away? Let's put yeah. Goliath's sword and tablet to remember yeah, God's yeah, victory yeah. over yeah the serpent because yeah. you remember Goliath for sure wearing scaly armor like yeah, a serpent. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, the point is, and we're not told at all he goes to Gath and there he's recognised like hey isn't this the David they're singing about Saul's son he's 10,000 and David Saul's son he's thousands David he's tens of thousands and yeah we're told that David's afraid and so he pretends to be insane and yeah it's interesting I was reading some sort of Jewish commentaries on this and there's I don't know it's not biblical at all it's just like commentaries hundreds of years after this event what the rabbis thought and so there's one rabbi which thought that maybe Akish's court was full of madmen he's like ah oh, why did you bring another madman here like what's mm. the point of this um so they're saying like David's kind of acting like a lot of people in Gath that are mad um mm. one suggested that David didn't understand the point of madness. Mm. And so it's like, oh, why, why, Lord, why did you make madness? And then sort of this encounter is like, oh, okay, this is why. It's a form of wisdom mm-hmm. in a sense. But what I find interesting is that Saul is going increasingly insane. Like mm. he's losing his mind. Mm. And David has to pretend to lose his mind in order to become wise. Mm. And what I, what I love is the connection with Psalm 34 and this. And I have some notes here if I can find them. Um, yeah, like like David has to shame his face. Mm. Um, yeah, like, and so in Psalm 34, like he talks about those that yeah, follow the Lord, their faces will never be shamed. Mm. And I find that, yeah, interesting and 
like David has to shame himself in order to have life. Mm. And I say it as sort of alluding a bit to the type of leader that God calls, like an, like a very, some sense like a Jesus sort of analogy. Jesus obviously doesn't pretend to be insane, but his face is shame. Like, you know, he's beaten, punched. And, yeah. Yeah, disfigured, like yeah, very poorly. And that's, and it's in front of foreign rulers too. Yeah. So there's a little like, I guess, hint of what Jesus will have to encounter mm. yeah, in front of the Romans. So David mm. did that by his own volition to escape. Jesus kind of willingly has his face shamed. Mm. And yeah, there's, there's some cool little features there on that. But yeah, and point of all that is like the spitting and the beard, the, the calling on the mark, like it's... Yeah, well, there's one. There's one moment when David's king, and he's some of his messengers have half their beards shaved off, and David's like, "Quick, just stay in hiding till your beards grow back." Like this is, like I don't think we can process just how shameful this was to do this. It's definitely to your a beard. funny image. Like I don't, yeah. think, I don't think if you saw someone with half a beard shaved off, you'd like, you know, just yeah. walk, like you definitely think something of it. You yeah, know, like someone obviously fell asleep at his mate's place or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's definitely so, a shameful thing even yeah, today yeah, yeah. a bit, but not like how they saw it. No, so it's this. Like I, like I said, this sense of David sort of just getting pushed further and throughout, almost to like his lowest point yeah. to, to do this. And that when, like when Psalm 34 is written, it's done in response to like mm. God's goodness in the midst of a very difficult situation. So, mm. and you'll see this with a number of Psalms, they will be written in response to events in yeah. David's life. It's almost like a commentary. So we just sort of get... <laughs> I like that, yeah. Yeah, like a text. Yeah. Like, okay, yep, David's going to be insane. All right, move mm. on. But then mm. you read 34, you're like, yeah, this is what... Like, yeah. You kind of get the emotional state of what he was going yeah. through yeah. to encounter that. Yeah, so, I like that. Yeah, and then anyway, so and and then verse fourteen, sort of. This is why the rabbis thought, look at this man; he's insane. Why bring him here? My so short a madman that you bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So it seems mm-hmm. to be like, oh, there must mm-hmm. have been lots of mad people. So instead of killing him, David is freed, mm-hmm. and there we're told he goes to escape to the cave of um, Adalam. And there his brothers and his father's household heard about they go down to him and all those who were in distress or in debt discontented around him and he became their commander about 400 men were with him mm. um yeah and like you read that you think well oh, that sounds a lot like jesus doesn't it like someone who said ah foxes have holes you know birds have nests i have nowhere to lay my head but mm-hmm. he's still gathering people mm. around him he gathers the the outcasts the discontented mm. and Thing like it, this is not how you think a king would come. This is, no, but it's in the wilderness that David coming out of a tomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, coming out of a tomb, literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, there's a resurrection sort of thing. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I think too. Again, it's easy to just sell to read. Oh, yeah, okay, David lived in a cave. Whatever, move on. Mm. Like, oh, it's very, very like low. Like literally, that's where the place of death is. Yeah, and yeah, he couldn't get much lower than this. But God is using that mm. to create. For lack of a better word, and this is Peter Lightheart's words, a new Israel through mm. David. The mm. current Israel is looking a lot like a Philistine or a Canaanite nation. Mm. Like Saul's there meant to be killing mm. Philistines and yeah. protecting the holy land, so to yeah. speak. Instead, he's the one allowing it to be polluted. Mm. And David has to be pushed out completely, mm. kind of to hit rock bottom, literally, yeah. in a cave, yeah, yeah, yeah. to start to rebuild Israel and to unify and yeah. bring her to the destiny they need to be. And it's like, ah. Oh, it sounds yeah. a lot like what Jesus would do, a different type of king that we yeah. expect. I mean, I sort of love at this point in Israel's history, 
um, depending on how you sort of um, rate things, you know, there were potentially a lot of Israelites who are going like, like, you know, make Israel great again. Like this is the greatest that Israel's ever been. We've finally got this powerful king, you know, Saul. Like, yeah, sure, like he's not perfect, but yep. you know, like, you know, we're we're winning battles, we're mm. we're doing good, you know. Obviously, this, you know, young upstart David mm. has been winning lots of battles for us as well. Like things are looking pretty good for us. And I kind of love this idea that in all of this illusion of grandeur and success mm. and strength and growth and prosperity, that God's actually doing something new with a tiny remnant mm. <laughs> out in the wilderness yeah. away from, you know, Israel, away from all of the splendor and grandeur, um, doing something new in a cave, you yeah. know. And I think that that's a really good sort of encouragement for all of us in a era where we're sort of maybe living it feels like in the the last glory days of the mm. church or some would probably argue yeah. in Australia you know it's kind of past mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it can probably sometimes feel like we are a bit of a remnant meeting on a mm. in a cave on a Sunday yeah. but the idea that time and time again God uses a faithful remnant yeah. to bring forth a new Israel a new yeah. thing behold I am doing a new thing I mm-hmm. think that's for me really encouraging that it's never really been about the you know the strength of the people mm. never really been about the um uh, I don't know, the the, the system that has mm. been built and the powerful sort of empire, but it's about the, you know, the small faithful remnant that yeah. once again, like God uses. I think that's really encouraging and yeah. inspiring. And, and it fits in with a lot of the biblical themes of characters going on exile. Yeah. So like not people have noted the similarities between David and Joseph, sure. David and a Jacob. Yeah. Like they go into sort of foreign lands, they get blessed and they bless others. And, um, yeah, Samuel riffs off a lot of theme in Judges. Mm. And so the last time we encountered someone living in the wilderness gathering men was, um, oh no, the mind blank, the judge that kills his daughter. Um, oh, Jephthah. Jephthah, yeah, Jephthah. yeah, Jephthah. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, ooh, but this is a different sort of Jephthah. In fact, yeah. Saul's kind of closer to the Jephthah. And so yeah. it's cool. Like there's sort of this reversal of these images in judges because judges is like ah this is terrible we have no king everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes and david's starting to reverse Mm. the process of the chaos of the judges era Mm. he's got to get rid of saul very cool saul needs to get well david doesn't get rid of saul god's got to get rid of Saul. yeah 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 well that's i mean the funny thing that we kind of see later that kind of david does have chances to take into his own hands and doesn't which is I think, again, I think a very interesting thought that, yeah. you know, just re- relying in God's time, yeah. relying that God, yeah, is, is so in. So David, David goes through two exiles, and we'll kind of look at the second exile in a few more weeks with um, his son Absalom. But that second exile is David's own doing. Mm. It's kind of like mirroring the life of Israel. Yeah, you sinned. He's like exilic period and come back. Yeah. But this one is an exile that's not of David's own making. It's not because David sinned here. Yeah. It's just to... Yeah, make him the king that God needs him to be. Mm. And yeah, that's what I find, yeah, for us. I was chatting to someone after church about this, just saying, she goes, yeah, it made me think quite a lot about the challenges in life and what's God doing with that. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, important for us to be, not just to see this as a curse, but as a season of growth. And there's not necessarily going to be easy answers to that. That's not just like, oh, well, like this is hard. And that's why David writes Mm. some. 34 and then well in the next sort of bracket when Saul kills the priest Psalm 52 it's like 
mourning like these mighty men who think that you know they can do whatever they want. That God's mm. going to bring you down. I'm I'm like an olive tree, mm. and so there there is that. Like ultimately, there mm. is vindication, but in mm. the moment, it's difficult. Mm. And that's why, yeah, like I said, it's good to have the Psalms kind of reading that. Yeah. Um, at the same time, and then you see the headings. Just look at the headings. Oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah, that yeah. moment. It refers back. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It's kind of an insight into David's mindset. For sure. During that. I love that. I really love that. That's, that's going to be my big takeaway for today. The Psalms are David's commentary, or at least the ones that he wrote on his yeah, moments. Yeah. I'm like, that's really cool. It's yeah. his internal monologue. Mm. It's him sort of further unpacking that. Mm. Um, I love that idea as well of him comparing himself to an olive branch. I feel like that mm. does kind of point back to him being like an anointed one. But in yeah. that, the anointing can only fully be seen if as mm. we sung on sunday with the new wine like if it is crushed yeah. and pressed mm. and you know we've spoken about this a lot of times about mm. this idea of even like persecution in the church you know the analogy that you've used a few times of the hot water into the yeah, tea yeah. making it stronger the you know blood of the martyrs being the seed of the church but, this idea yeah. that there is a inherent theology of suffering throughout I think mm. both like the Old and New yeah. Testament. And it's something that we are, I mean, I'll speak for myself, very uncomfortable with. I don't want to mm. suffer. No. <laughs> I want to live a comfortable life. Yeah. You know? I want to watch Netflix and eat popcorn. <laughs> but, you know, I think the reality is, is the call of Jesus to pick up our cross um, does invite us into an anointing that far exceeds this life. Mm. But the reality is that there is almost like a, a promise in some ways mm. that there are going to be seasons of crushing and yeah. pressing but that's when that's when the oil that's when the new wine mm. comes out and that we should somehow in this and i definitely don't feel this way find ways to recognize god's goodness and to rejoice and see you know despite mm. all of this like entire olive tree being crushed the beautiful rich oil mm. that's coming out of it and sometimes it can seem like it's only a drop in all yeah. of this pain and crushing but yeah i think having the discernment and wisdom and the sort of you know heavenly vision to be able to see those those drops of mm. you know manna from heaven um, I'm going to play a little game. It's everyone's <laughs> favorite time or probably no one's favorite time. <laughs> Murray takes a stab at something um, as we've just been going through. I couldn't help yeah. but see when you were preaching yesterday. Um, David, when he's talking to Ahimelech in 21, yeah. says a really interesting thing in verse 2. He says, the king sent me on a mission mm. and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you mm. on. So obviously it's a lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Two things there. So David is already the anointed one. Mm. So he's kind of like a bit of a secret Messiah here. And he's sort of speaking yeah. in a way with the authority of himself mm. that he himself as king has sent himself yeah. on a mission. Ooh. A little bit of a, like a Jesus echo there yeah, of like cool. Jesus being God mm. really like sent himself on the mission, yeah. even though it's from the father. Yeah. And we've got to understand the Trinitarian aspect of God. Like Jesus still is God. He has sent himself. And the idea that throughout scripture, even when he's sort of like revealing himself to mm. people secretly, there isn't this sort of grandiose proclamation. Mm. And a lot of the times he's being a little bit covert in the way that he yeah. reveals the messianic his, secret. Yeah, the messianic yeah. secret. 
I don't know. There may be nothing there, but that that's was like a, cool, a little... That's a cool little insight. I hadn't even like tweaked on that yeah, at that's all. That's what happens when we read together as a community. Yeah, yeah it is. Hey, that's why it's important to do it. <laughs> that's that it. Way. That's it. Well, speaking uh, of, hope that, yeah, people who are going through this series um, as small groups are continuing to, you know, kind of discover mm, more and more little yeah. beautiful insights. Um, as we are sort of, sort of heading into next week, we are mm. once again taking a, a cheeky little break from uh, the ah. book of Samuel. Mm. We're uh, having a pretty special service this yeah. Sunday. What's going on? We're having Celebration Sunday. I love it. So we have Vision Sunday at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And so Celebration Sunday is a way for us to celebrate what God's done. And so our key word for this year was steadfast. And so, yeah, part of it is celebrating the goodness of God, even in the midst of like some of the challenges that mm. we faced as a community. And there's been a lot. Yeah. And so... Yeah, despite those challenges, we're still called to worship God, to praise God, um, yeah, to be joyful. Mm. In that. So that's part of it is to actually like, okay, yep, been a hard year, we acknowledge mm-hmm. that, but also to want to celebrate what God's done. So mm. there'll be no real traditional sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, Lou, um, Brian, yourself and I will kind of share our highlights. There'll be, yeah, some videos. There'll be more worship. There'll be a big communion meal. We're not just going to have a little bit of bread, but actually, yeah, celebrate together. Yeah. Eating and tying our age in with that. So it's going to be one big fiesta. Love it. <laughs> Love it. And then maybe a siesta afterwards. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, recharge for space, for space that, that night. That night. <laughs> so, hey. Yeah. Love it. Be good. So good. Looking forward to it. Well, yeah. Thanks again for the message on Sunday, Mitch. No and yeah, looking forward to coming together and celebrating yeah, on Sunday. All right. See you, everyone. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.